I remember as a young kid playing baseball. I'm a bigger guy, so obviously they put you in outfield or behind the plate. And uh, I remember my dad telling me, hey, Matthew, as you're playing baseball, he would always tell me the day of the game, hey, drink water, drink a lot of water, get hydrated. Yeah, dad, I got that. I'm good. Then you go to the game, you drink like a Gatorade, right? You drink one Gatorade, you're like, yes, fruit punch Gatorade. I'm so good for today. Let's go. And then about five to six innings in, with all the catching gear, I looked like the fruit punch Gatorade, about to fall over. And there's many times I can look back in my own life as uh, my dad gave me warnings of what was to come if, if I didn't do certain things. And it's interesting, as we have an amazing team for our youth and young adults here, from the plazas to Priscilla to Eli to, to the Moose to, to Shane and Nally to so many, Patrick Black. We have amazing leaders here. We want to help our students have an amazing, safe time learning, growing, and treasuring Jesus here. We do that through games, and, and we give them guidelines. I, I tell them, I have this box this metaphorical box that I want students to just enjoy Jesus here. And in this box, we have rules. We mention these things kind of at the beginning of each year, sporadically throughout the year. Why? Because, let's let's be honest, we we go to camps, we have uh, pranks, we have jokes, but words hurt each other. Sometimes people get upset. And so we try to do all the things that we can to help our students here, as well when I was a, a child myself with my own father, try to warn them of, of hey, let's, let's focus in. Let's not miss out what we're, we're missing out on. And today, as we're in chapter 11, we're going to see Moses introducing the final plague. And this final plague is the deadliest of plagues. And, and this isn't Just the last final plague, this is the plague. This is the plague that ends all plagues. Scholars say that that we are leaving the pattern of plagues. There's three sets of three plagues each. And in each of these three sets, they were designated by Moses uh, approaching Pharaoh. One in the morning near the river. Another time in Pharaoh's official capacity. And then lastly, plague that went unnoticed. And see, in this final plague, it stands alone, not only because it breaks out the cycle of the sets before them, but it stands alone because of the brutality of what is to come. See, this is an event that has never happened before, and it will never happen again. And in today's passage, we see a warning of the deadliest plague, Now, going back to to last week in the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, Pharaoh was shown that he was not the son of light. He did not rule over day and night. And yet still, Pharaoh's delusion about his authority, Pharaoh would go on to say, get away from me, take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall surely die. See, this must have struck a nerve with Moses, I believe, who heard the one true God tell him at the burning bush, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so as God said those things, what did Moses do when when that happened? Moses fell on his face in front of God, 
for he was afraid to look at God. So think of all the magnificent wonders that God has already done, and Pharaoh is still thinking that he rules over life and death. And now, so for today, we see this warning of a final plague, the most deadliest of them all, that God unveils the measures that he is willing to take to ensure his plans and to care for his people. Let's pray before text. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. You are gracious. You are merciful and mighty. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truthfulness. We look to see the wonders that you have done, Lord, and that you continually care for your people. So, Lord, I pray today as we, we seek to know you more and what you have done, we rejoice for we know what lies ahead because of your son. So be with us today as we seek to know you, to love you, and treasure you forever. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, church, we're going to be in first, or no, sorry, Exodus 11, verse 1. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague, one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh, upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was said very great in the land of Egypt and in sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now, many scholars consider this to be a continuation of the conversation that Moses was having with Pharaoh in chapter 10. And as we look at the language in verse 1, look at how it's being used. Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you completely away. This language is firm. This, this language is certain. This way that is being shown, that is being spoken, shows that this will be the final plague and it will end it all. This shows the power and authority of God, that there is none like him. The IVP Bible commentary says in Egypt, Pharaoh was considered a deity. And Pastor Michael spoke about this last week. This last plague is directed at him being Pharaoh. In the ninth plague, Pharaoh's father was defeated, and now his son, the heir of the throne, will be slaughtered. This is a blow to Pharaoh's person. This is a blow to his kingship. And this is, in his mind, a blow to his deity. And it is also the vindication of the triune God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As the sun god is supposedly the father of Pharaoh, who, who they considered a god, lowercase g, the son of Pharaoh is an heir to the divine. And in the ninth and tenth plagues, the true triune god vindicates himself as the one triune and only god. His sovereignty is not matched or even come close to. There is not one other god except for him. Why? Because there is only him, for he is holy and he is the only God. 
This is also the first time that we actually see the word plague being used, and it means to strike or to blow. It says, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. This marks the coming of the end of the plagues. Now, long before this, on the way to Egypt, God told Moses that he would, he would plague Egypt with the death of the firstborn. In verse uh, 21 of, of chapter 4, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. See, for after this uh, final plague, Pharaoh would not merely allow Israel to simply leave, but, but he would force them to get out. God will do what he will do for his glory and the care of his people. And so it's caused me to look back on all the plagues that we have seen, especially going into this fit, or the 10th and final plague, the characteristics of God through these past plagues. First, I, I saw the plagues help us learn that God is the Almighty that he is the one who holds absolute power over everything that he created. The God who sent the plagues against Egypt still rules over heaven and earth today. That he performed these wonders so the Egyptians would say and know that the earth is the Lord's. But do we remember to look to God as the creator of all creation when we see the beauty of this world? I mean, we're heading up to camp next week, and I'm like so excited. I love talking to our students about it because, you know, living in Southern California, it's like an hour up to the mountains. It's about an hour to the beach. It's about an hour, not even an hour, to the desert. There's so many ways for us to see God's beauty. And it's so interesting because these youth kids, I go, hey, if you could go anywhere for summer, where would you go, the beach or the mountains? And I grew up in Orange County, so what was my typical answer? The beach. It's relaxing. It's cool, kind of. It's crisp. You get the, like, the caca with the, the, the seagulls. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I'm sorry. I do that with the youth kids. They laugh at me a lot, too. Um, you also hear the, the crashing of the waves. You got have bonfires. But the kids, the kids love going up to the mountains, seeing the, the, these hills, these mountaintops filled with, with trees, Hearing acorns fall from the little squirrels, seeing lush green. And it's so amazing to see a student just sit and marvel at what God has created. But do when we look at the world, do we look and say, man, he's the almighty. He's the one that created all this and the beauty that he created. How amazing is that? And yet how amazing is that? How amazing is he? And yet, even though this is part of his creation, we are his image bearers. How much more does he care for us? Do we trust that he cares for his people? Not only has these plagues helped us learn that God is the Almighty, it also helps me remember, and I think it helps us remember, that God is a jealous God and one that will not share in his glory. 
The Egyptians created gods of their own design. They chose to idolize false gods. So God defeated their gods one, one, one by one because he will not tolerate it. And this week it caused me to think, are there things in our lives that we take, that, that take the throne of our hearts in which God deserves to sit at? Are there things in our life that take the throne of our heart where God truly desires and deserves to sit at? I'm, uh, I, I typically, I have a, a notebook in here so that if I interact with someone, I could write down exactly what we talked about on Sundays because sometimes my mind is in 30 different places. And uh, luckily for my birthday, how many of you guys have one of these? We all have one. It's, it's either in our pockets, in the purses, or literally right in the seat next to us. And I love my phone. Anybody else love their phone? No one wants to admit it. We love our phones. Um, we spend a lot of time on our phones. You know, you could actually see how much time you spent on your phone this week, let alone just today since the moment you've woken up. I love my phone because I could talk to my wife. I could talk to my friends. I could talk to my family. I could see photos my friends send me from, from where they live in other states and other countries. I could interact with people uh, far away from, from where we live. I could play some fun games. I can listen to music. I enjoy my phone. I, I, sometimes I forget I have my phone, so, so I got this watch because now my wife, uh, I don't forget to respond to her text messages or her phone calls because sometimes I miss those, and I don't want to be that guy. Um, so, so I'm saying this is because, man, I think a lot of times this thing takes the throne of our hearts, a tool that was created to help us has now taken a place that it doesn't belong. And I don't think it's simply the youth that happens to. There was a, a Friday I was here on the phone with a, a, what would we call a silver saint here at Living Truth who was uh, asking for help because, man, they, they spent a little bit too much time on the Facebook and the YouTube. And as uh, we were talking, they were wanting help Justin, how, how can I spend less time on it? And so we, we helped her out. I helped her out. I went to a, like an IT department where it was cool to help her set some limits. But to me, there's so many times and even in my life where I have to set limits on those because it takes the throne of my heart. And we've also seen that, that, that as there's things that have taken God's throne in our hearts, that he is a jealous God and that he will not share in his glory and that he is the almighty. We've also seen that he is a just God that Pharaoh deliberately tried to destroy God's people and he would stop at nothing. The Egyptians were, were willingly carrying out Pharaoh's orders to oppress the Israelites. Through different plagues, God was giving them what they deserved. And since God is just, we can wait for him to judge his enemies. But do we trust that he is just? Do we trust in his timing? Do we trust in our, in our care in his hands. And I say these we statements because it's all of us. All of us. Do we trust that he is just? Do we trust in his timing? And lastly, as we know that he is just, we also know that he is merciful. 
when God's people prayed and cried out for deliverance, he heard their request. In Exodus 2, 23 through 24, it states, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God removed his co- he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So do we cry out knowing that because of what Christ has done, that, that through the shedding of his blood, that we are redeemed as we put our faith in him and him alone? Or do we try to simply white-knuckle it through this life? Do we remember these things? Because as it goes on, it says in verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of his people. God goes on to tell Moses that not only Israel will be brought out of Egypt, but that they will also ask the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry, that this is exactly what God told Moses would happen in Exodus 3, 20 through 22. The, the, the plundering in the ancient Near East was what victorious armies did to those whom they defeated, and God was acting in a just against Justice against Pharaoh at this time, showing mercy towards Israel. These precious materials were actually carried out of, out of Egypt by Israel and would later become part of the building of the tabernacle. And many have tried to explain verse 2 when it says, Ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for gold or for silver and for gold jewelry. Some of the scholars say that this was payment for the wages that Israel uh, was supposed to be paid. Others say that it was the price of redemption for which was required to release for slavery. They say that, that this is part of the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham found in Genesis 15 as the descendants would leave Egypt with great substance. Others believe that this is a military tribute that God made with the Egyptians to pay for the victorious Israelites. What we can say is that Israel was told to ask for gold and or silver and gold. There was no gimmicks. Some scholars even say that this was a free will offering, that the Egyptians simply wanted the Israelites to get out of Egypt and they would do whatever was required to get them out quicker. But, but one thing is for fact. In verse 3, it says, The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. This too was the fulfillment of Moses' calling. God had promised to be with, and that is what made Moses effective. Moses wasn't trying to be someone that he wasn't supposed to be. He was being the man that God had called him to be. And many in Egypt had grown respect for Moses. They had held him in high honor And some Egyptians even began to fear God. Most of the Egyptians had begun to believe in the existence of the one true God. They acknowledged his power and honored his prophet. They saw God's authority and they saw his wonders. They saw the grace and favor God had for his people as Moses told Pharaoh in verse 8, and all these Your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. See, many believe that the Egyptians were supporting of the Exodus because they were wanting to escape God's judgment. 
Some, even in seeing the might and magnitude of God and his power, left with the Israelites out of Egypt, as we see later on in Exodus 12, 38. They recognized the importance of treating God's people with respect and generosity. Remember, God will do what he will do for his glory and the care of his people. We continue on in verse 4 through 8. We see the, the warning of the final plague being spoken to Pharaoh. So Moses said in verse 4, Thus say the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Verse 6, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that, they, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. But all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Now, like I said earlier, this continues the statements and conversation between Moses and Pharaoh in chapter 10. And as Moses still stood before Pharaoh, he did not say any of these let go statements anymore. Only statements of what was going to come, what was going to happen. There were now further requests. There was no further request for Pharaoh's cooperation. And this shows that the finality of the plagues. See, unlike the other plagues, this time God himself will march through the land of Egypt as the text states. So Moses said, thus say the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. See, there was no secondary cause or, or utilizing instruments like a strong wind. This is God himself. And he didn't give a specific day, which caused them to wonder when this was going. This plague is dealing with death, and the Egyptians were obsessed with death and the afterlife. If you ever looked upon uh, Egyptian history or their culture, you would find out and you would know how about the elaborate arrangements that they made for life after death. See, according to the Oxford Encyclopedia of Ancient Egyptian, or ancient Egypt, the Egyptians invested a large portion of their wealth in the afterlife than any other culture in the history of the world. As we look at the, the, the great pyramids and the famous tombs of the Valley of the Kings, they stand as testimonies of their preoccupation with death and life. Even today, you can go to museums to see mummies all around the world. I mean, we even have movies like The Mummy, which somehow they created three sequels, too. That is all about that. I always wonder what happened to Brandon Frazier. He is nowhere to be found. Yet we have mummies that you can literally go see today. But now with, with what Moses was saying here, there was going to be many, many, many deaths. And they range from humans to animals. See, this warning was showing the, the severity of this final plague, from the highest of highs in people to the lowest of lows in people, including animals. 
for not just all Egyptians, but their animals were also going to be affected. As the scripture states, for the firstborn of the slave girl who was behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. See, see, the slave girl was the poorest of poor in these times. And it's really wanting to drive home the point, all would suffer loss and experience sorrow. Everyone. Everyone will, and no one would be unaffected. But it is one individual death that was especially significant. It says in the text, And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. See, this is the next in line for Egypt's throne. This is the one that the Egyptians believed was the successor to the gods. The Egyptians admired the life of the prince. But Moses said, Thus say the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. All this death would cause a wailing of suffering and grief that would come from every house to the likes that would haven't been experienced or would be experienced again. As the scripture says in verse 6, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been or never will be again. Yet through all this occurring, the Israelites would remain untouched by death, proving that it wasn't the Egyptian gods who had power, but the one who said that he is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The Israelites believed that the God of the dead was Osiris, whose name meant the mighty one, the one who had sovereign power. And he had an assistant named Anubis, the God of the underworld. Now, Anubis came in the form of a canine, which some believe was the reference to verse 7 when it says, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. See, it wasn't Egypt's God or even Pharaoh that ruled over life and death, as the death of Egypt's firstborn son would prove that Israel's God was the true Lord of life and death. And see, with this final tenth plague, God would punish the Egyptians for their sins as this was an act of justice with Pharaoh trying to previously kill all of Israel's firstborn sons. This was an attempted genocide by Pharaoh. And God is a God of justice and judgment. It is only right for the Egyptians to be judged justly for their murderous intentions. One commentary even says that the wailing that went up from Egyptians was fair punishment for the way that they had made the Israelites wail for more than 400 years. And see, with both of these events, the Bible uses the same word to describe their lament as a cry of distress. And see, God hears the cries of Israel and he cares for them. And God hears your cries and my cries, and he cares for us. But as we see, as God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh these things, Pharaoh still does not care. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. 
See, this is the, the, the real miracle. God's direct involvement shows that the 10th plague can only be a result of this statement. And see, when some biblical scholars try to explain the Exodus, they say that the plagues should be viewed as a pure, uh, as pure inventions or as a natural event which were transformed by imagination into miracles. But what natural events could come close to explaining the death of the firstborn of Egypt? Only of what God has said, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Even the Psalms just wrote in Psalms 135, verse 8, He, it was struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beef. See, uh, Nahum Saran says, The tenth and final visitation upon Pharaoh and his people is the one plague for which no rational explanation can be given. It belongs in a category of the supernatural, but we know that that supernatural source was God, and it showed his power over creation. See, these plagues were all part of God's plan to show God's glory in the deliverance of his people. Pharaoh's resistance and hostility was even part of the plan. Miracle after miracle after miracle, even in Pharaoh's hardening his heart, the wonders that were being done brought glory to God. But let us not forget that we are talking about God the Almighty. This is the God that rules over all creation. He is sovereign and he is a jealous God. He will not share in his glory for any other. He will seek justice and punish people according to their sins. He is merciful, and he will save all who cry out to him in humility and all genuine repentance. So what do we do? Well, we cling to Jesus. It was Jesus Christ, the righteous one, that was punished in place of us. We cling to Jesus. Because it was Jesus Christ, the blameless one, that has shed his blood and was crucified instead of us. And we cling to Jesus. Because it was Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the one who took God's wrath on our behalf for us. See, everyone will be judged. Jesus took the curse and he experienced darkness. For those of us who who believe, we rejoice because through Christ there is no condemnation. Because of his death and his resurrection, we deserve death, but have nothing but mercy forever. See, for the body of Christ, the church, we cling to Jesus, remembering that he loves us and he cares for us. Let's continually remember that he cares for us. Church family, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us. Lord, even in the hardship of knowing what is to come, Lord, we know what will happen. And we know, ultimately, Lord, that we will be spending eternity with you. So, Lord, I ask Help us continually seek your face. Help us know of your love. Help us hold fast, endure this race that you've set before us. As one body, let us lock arms 
continually doing what you desire us to do, seeking your will above all others, being obedient to you. Lord, we've all messed up. We've all screwed up. Let us come with repenting hearts, desiring only to glorify you. Lord, I ask that, let, that you help us remember your love, remembering your might, remembering your power, that we rejoice in your name, in your name alone. So Lord, we ask these things in your name for your glory, in your glory alone. Amen.